I'm Lauren. And I'm Eric. Over the past year, we've connected dozens of classic She-Ra episodes to modern progressive issues. But we're not done yet. In this second season of our show, I'm no longer a newbie to Etheria. This year, we're taking a higher level view of the characters and issues that face the Princess of Power. We're as interested as ever in how those issues connect to our current political landscape. So join us as we look back to the 80s and forward to the Netflix reboot of one of our favorite cartoons. This, this is, is She-Ra, Progressive, Progressive of Power. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of She-Ra, Progressive of Power. Once again, I am Eric. And I am Lauren. And boy, we have a jam-packed show today, so let's get to it. There's a lot of news this week, both uh, politically and She-Ra-wise, which is exciting. I think the political news kind of segues nicely into our topic this week. So let's talk about She-Ra up top. So I woke up yesterday morning... And I had a little gift in my inbox from past guest Jacob Torbeck. Who is just a gift to this show. Shout out to Jacob. Yeah, Jacob's amazing. Thank you, Jacob. And he sent me a screen cap, I think from his own phone, of, I don't know how he found this, Netflix's placeholder page for their She-Ra reboot. It is up. It is live. The show isn't live, but the page is live. And it, it gives us our first uh, glance of the title and the synopsis of this new show. Right? So this is She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. In this reboot of the 80s series, a magic sword transforms an, or- an orphan girl into warrior She-Ra who unites a rebellion to fight against evil. There's a lot to unpack in that title in one <laughs> sentence. Yes. Uh, so Princesses of Power, to me, implies some of the... Uh, rebellion characters some of our favorite sort of side characters like frosta and uh angela and glimmer so um kind of a sailor moon feeling for me you know like everyone's a princess and so i I guess she must be too right well i don't know about that (laughs) because the second part of that is that she's an orphan and so that almost says to me that in this version of the show her brother doesn't come rescue her which is something that we've thought about is maybe given the kind of light touch they had to use with he-man for rights issues he's not the one who comes to find her maybe she just happens to find this sword that unlocks her power she may not know who she is right i'd be super down for her rescuing herself i've talked about that in a past episode however if it's gonna go in a sort of magical girl sailor moon sort of direction i think eventually she'll find out that she's a princess i gotta remember that like most of the people they're making this show for are children who don't know this story yet and so of course they're not gonna spoil it but you know what i was thinking about that the fact that both the relaunch and the original are on netflix means that kids who watch this show are going to be thirsty for the original. So they'll learn eventually. That's true. But you're totally right. And I think that we know for sure, right, that they can use He-Man somehow. So I'm sure they'll get there, but it might be in a very subtle way. Right. That was one of the first things they had rights to, if I recall our conversation with Mr. Seeley. He-Man and Hordak, and then the rest of the Horde. Anyway, this is a topic for a whole other episode, but boy, I was really excited to see that. (laughs) So let's talk about this week's episode. And I'm excited because after two weeks of kind of shows that were not 
I mean, I think our shows were good, but we talked about episodes that were like not great and kind of left us feeling down about She-Ra. Yeah, we just sat here and said, I didn't like that one very much because all your favorite episodes you put in season one. Mm-hmm. But I think we're back, baby. And I, I actually hadn't even seen a couple of these episodes before. Oh. And Lauren picked the season two ones we did. And boy, I really like this. So this week we're talking about allyship and being a good yeah, a good ally, right? And being a good supporter in a time of strife. Yeah, and sometimes being an ally when you didn't necessarily start on the team you end up with. So defectorship or uh, maybe even just a realization that you are something other than you thought you were. See, like I said, it ties into the news this week. Uh, we're recording this a week before you're hearing it, P.S. So... Uh, We have a guest. Lauren, would you like to introduce our guest? Yes. So uh, normally we bring in guests whose occupation has something to do with the theme. Every now and then we don't. And today is one of those special days where this is just a person with a personal story that I thought fit into the episodes we were watching. Uh, This is my coworker. His name is Jeffrey Johnson. And I will let him explain a little bit about why we asked him here today. Hi, Jeffrey. Hi, everybody listening. (laughs) So uh, I work at a... Uh, optometry school that shan't be named, but you could probably guess which one it is. Uh, And we work together on the communications team. Jeffrey uh, came into my life uh, as someone who did not live in Chicago and his journey to Chicago, I think is relevant. So Jeffrey, take it away. Sure. So I'm originally from the South, uh, Mississippi, Louisiana area specifically, and I had an opportunity to move up north. Um, Mainly it was career, uh, but another reason of it was for a guy, and I wanted to kind of pursue that. We had been dating long distance for a year, and then I finally decided to take a chance. Plus, you know, living in the South, if you could imagine, you know, swatting the swamps, swatting the mosquitoes in the swamp. (laughs) (laughs) Swat Uh, the swamp. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, (laughs) If you can imagine kind of like being down in the South and, um, you know, being raised in the Bible Belt with a strictly with a very strict father, religious influences. Um, You know, for me, living in Chicago was kind of the pie in the sky goal. It was the um, point in which I would quote unquote make it. And so um, through a series of random events and calculated ones through my career and through my personal life, I wound up uh, working with Lauren at the optometry school, which shan't be named. (laughs) (laughs) Um, how I, I feel like how I can maybe contribute to this specific episode is a bit of both, um, you know, my geographic transition and then also my transition in kind of coming out of the closet and being, um, you know, raised in the straight conservative, you know, religious world and not really defecting as much as it is just coming true to my own to my own self, you know, being comfortable in my own skin, realizing who I really am, and then having the um, wherewithal to live that truth, no matter what cost that is. I think, you know, to bring it back to the topic of the podcast, that's something that uh, Shira excels at. And it's kind of fun to watch these episodes um, just because of the way that she does it with even just side little comments. So let's quick, we got three episodes on the docket today, and I really like, uh, Jeffrey, that your story relates to kind of your family, because I feel like, in particular, one of these episodes, or two of them, prime you to 
kind of deal with the, your, the loved ones in your life and finding yourselves on different side of an issue. But first, we're going to talk about kind of the generic take on this theme, which is an episode I actually had on the docket for season one. And I don't know why it didn't make the cut. feels like it should have. But we're going to talk about it. The Reluctant Wizard. I really like this episode. So in this episode, there is a lone tree in like the wasteland that uh, has magic powers. And after it messes up a horde trooper and Madame Raz sees it, both the horde and the rebels figure out that this is Again, an ancient Aetherian legend of a super powerful wizard who retreated to this like tree uh, world. Like he made a world inside a tree for some reason. No one knows why he doesn't want to be out amongst people, but both sides feel like they could use him as an ally. Like the rebels think he could help fight the horde. The horde thinks if he doesn't want to help them, he's too powerful to exist. They both go to the tree. He is super powerful. He refuses to join the rebellion. Then the horde comes. He kind of sort of helps the rebels take care of the horde. Uh, and then there's, they have this conversation at the end of the episode where um, Shira's like, you know, what we're really fighting for is fighting for your right to choose what you want to do. So I'm not going to make you join us. And he goes, okay, well, I'll think about it. And then that's the end of the episode, which is, I think, a pretty interesting open-ended resolution to a kid's cartoon show. I think it was, I thought that was fantastic. I really liked that Shira gave him the free will to choose while the Horde was kind of, their whole thing was obedience through control. Yeah, absolutely, right? Like, I thought that was a super cool end. Uh, yeah, Lauren, what did you think? Absolutely. So uh, I was surprised by the end of this one. As someone who's watched a ton of these episodes now, we often joke that. Shira and company end up recruiting a lot of people in a way that maybe doesn't always feel like they have a choice. I think back to, you know, Rock People, which is an episode in which pacifists are forced to fight. And this one reads a lot better as to what the mission of the rebellion actually is. And I really love that we left the wizard to think about it. Um, one of the one of my favorite favorite characters that I compared Shira to in this episode was Daenerys Targaryen uh, from the Game of Thrones Song of Ice and Fire series. She goes kingdom to kingdom, freeing all the slaves, and then giving the slaves the option to join her army and continue to overturn and free more people, or to just you know live their lives. And I've always had this feeling with Daenerys that maybe she wasn't actually giving them a choice. Like, would she really be okay if armies worth of people just walked away from her, given that she has dragons and can really make people do whatever she wants? But she rustics by it. The wizard's allowed to just live his life. And that's a really interesting tie-in from Game of Thrones because in this particular episode, Bo pretty much says the same thing to Shira. He says, really, you're going to just let this wizard remain reluctant and kind of on the fence about what to do? And what I thought was really poignant was when she says, well, we're going to give him the choice, but the thing that he knows now is we were nice to him and the horde was bad. So even if he doesn't know which side he wants to be on, he at least knows which side is going to treat him good and what side is going to treat him bad. He kind of knows the truth of the world a little bit more accurately. Bo's a real jerk in this episode. Again, I feel like especially early on in the show, they were really playing with the potential of Bo as sort of this insensitive, like, 
socially bumbling guy, he gets in this situation where, do you like Adora better or She-Ra better? And later on, he repeatedly says the wizard is ugly. I feel like uh, Bo graduates out of those habits later on, but going back early in the show, you can see what they were playing with with that character. Very strange. And we should talk about the ugly thing, right? Because that's the reason that the wizard uh, retreated in the first place was he felt... um, kind of unloved by the world because of his, I don't know, he's not exactly disfigured, but he's not like an aesthetically pleasing person to look at. I took the word ugly to mean he was ugly because he was reclusive. He might be ugly because he was rude to unwanted guests. And it wasn't necessarily just like he was, he was deemed ugly by this world that he lived in. So he had to create a fake one in a tree. Yeah. And that that's exactly right. Like he makes this rich internal world for himself, which kind of metaphorically, I think we see people do in reality. They, don't want to function in community, so they make this rich inner life for themselves instead. And I thought that was a pretty good story for this guy. Uh, I mean, the the part about feeling ugly, I think you're right, it does have that metaphorical significance, but also that seems like the kid's cartoon part. Like, oh, don't make fun of someone because of his looks. I think that's literally the moral, right? Yeah, it is. The moral yeah. is uh, you can't judge. You, it's what's on the inside that counts. Yeah, and I, but I, I like that in this episode... He doesn't, as Lauren says, have that like change of heart, that it, it's uh, a work in progress. I think this should have been the template for how all of those stories went in the show, right? Like, this is what we wish the show always did. For was, sure. Yeah, give, give your allies a choice. Don't expect them just to fight for you. Uh, to tie this into current politics a little bit, I want to point out that these were some of my favorite Hordak scenes I've ever seen as well. Yeah, He completely just destroys this trooper before uh, Shadow Weaver can say, that trooper might have been telling the truth. Oh, yeah, because the trooper says, oh, a tree came alive and blasted my ride or whatever. Yeah. And Hordak's like, you're an idiot Bogus. and blows him up. Yeah. But then Hordak immediately pulls back on that and says, he could have, sorry, <laughs> yeah. as if like it was legitimately something he hadn't even considered, that one of his people might be being truthful. Uh, and he just is so Trumpian in that moment. We're in the news currently talking about rejoining the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the trade deal that Donald Trump bailed out of in the first week of his presidency, and suddenly he's like, wait a minute, that could have been a good thing. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. That plus the line, um, there must only be one power on this planet, and that is the Horde. Like, this is... Hordak at kind of his most maniacal and unhinged. Well, even though another favorite line, I agree with that, was prepare to attack this wizard in a tree. And there's such an absurdity to it that, like, I will literally attack anything that I find a threat or that I find intimidating, even if it seems absurd. It's like he doubts the credibility that there's a world in the tree and is still going to go for it. And again, it's so Donald Trump. It's so Donald Trump being like, if you hit me, I hit back. I don't care if you're a wizard in a tree. Yeah, if this was Donald Trump, he would have tweeted about that tree. I also would like to just, you know, throw in part of my own take on how I took this entire episode to be relevant to my own personal past as well as political speaking. 
It's easy. I would have to say it's easy for people in the gay community to consider themselves, quote unquote, metaphorically ugly, ugly by society standards, ugly because we're not wanted. And it's easy to be, quote unquote, in the closet or in a tree or wherever it is where we can build our own safe space kind of world. But what I think is kind of the interesting thing is also people that are um, reluctant to accept people that are different than them are also living in this closed off world, almost like a bubble. And my dad represents this reluctant wizard to me because deep down, I know that he loves me as a father does his son, but he won't allow himself to accept me totally because it goes against his religious beliefs and his entire upbringing. And it's because the world that he's created for himself, he's surrounded by people that just reinforce this, you know, gay marriage is wrong, um, you know, the Christian sanctity of marriage, the idea of it, yada, yada. And it was this past Christmas when I went home to visit that this kind of came to the surface. So it, it kind of came out over the Christmas holiday that there was this kind of gap that my dad was having trouble bridging, and that is how to love me as his son in its totality, as well as reconcile his Christian upbringing. And it was kind of bringing the reality of the world outside of his tree in harmony with the world inside of his tree. And what I really liked about um, what Shira did, as we've already discussed, is that she gave him the free choice to just kind of live in this transition period of being unsure. And I think that's really... What I've learned as a gay man, um, you know, living in the world, coming across people that don't accept me totally, is it's not the more that the more that I try to pull people to the other side or try to accept me, the harder they resist. And I think it's the same no matter what the two sides are, whether it's gay or straight or Republican or Democrat. It's the more that we try to pull people to the other side, the more resistance we encounter. And I feel like tying it into this current political stance, like particularly with the Mueller investigation, um, as as facts come out, as things are happening, you know, people in the Trump camp might be reluctant to align their made up world with the reality that's surrounding them. And as people on the other side, I think it's important that we give them the space to live in this transitional period of, I'm not sure, because letting go of the comfort zone that you build for yourself is very scary and difficult, change is hard. Um, and I really like the way that Shira handled this reluctant wizard. Are you all right? Yes, thanks to you. Now I suppose you think I have to help you. No, it's your choice. That's why we fought for you, to give you that choice. All people aren't the same. Not everyone will judge you by your looks, but you have to give them a chance. It's my choice? Yes. Then I choose to think about it. Fair enough. So I don't know if I actually want to hear the answer to this, because the answer is always no. But does this character come back later in the show? The answer is no. Gosh, every time. Every time. I think the first season was 60-something episodes. I mean, that's just ridiculous idea. Yeah, these were, they aired daily, like there was almost no continuity between episodes. Well, one of the episodes that I think we could have done today that we're not going to do is the episode in which General Sunder uh, comes back into the canon. True. And I was just really surprised that that existed at all. He's a character that defects, and we actually apparently check back in with him later in the series. But that's really like the one time I think that ever occurs. Pretty much. Him and Seahawk, your favorite. Uh... 
But the thing that is consistent is Shira, and I mean her attitude and the way that she treats people, and she's always taking the moral high ground. Even in this episode of The Caregiver, there was this person that was raising Adora when she was kidnapped as a baby. Adora was able to escape or quote-unquote defect to the good side, but she's still living on this, again, quote-unquote evil planet, and her caregiver escapes with the with the naive perception that she was just let go to go be reunited and everything was hunky dory, um, even when she gets accused of being a spy or a double crossing agent, Shira even says, "Don't call her a traitor," and she says, "I'll trust you because I have to and because I want to," and she said the same thing to the reluctant wizard in a manner of speaking because the reluctant wizard was so reluctant for company, he was initially rude to Shira and her crew, and Shira was still willing to help him, even though he was, you know, mean. That is a great connection, and let's delve a little bit more into that with the caregiver. This is an episode um, that does, in fact, revisit just like episode one of the She-Ra canon. We meet Chakra, who Jeffrey has already mentioned. Uh, she's the caregiver of Adora, while Adora was raised by the Horde, and the episode opens with, uh, for reasons I think unknown at the, in the beginning, Chakra is leaving the Horde. She's retiring. She's finishing up her uh, stay on, on this team. And as a parting gift, the generous and kind Hordak gives her a beautiful amulet. And they have this exchange where Hordak says, you know, no one really understands me. I'm actually a nice guy, as you can tell by this <laughs> just awesome and empathetic gift I'm giving you. And Thank you for all your service. And she believes it. She does believe yeah. it. Bless her. Hook, line, sinker. Chakra goes uh, immediately to fulfill her goal, which is to defect to the Great Rebellion. And for most of the episode, all of the rebels' plans for attacking the troopers, getting, gaining resources, gaining ground, are uh, caught by the Horde because that amulet was not a generous and empathetic gift. It was a surveillance device. Uh, Madame Raz, throughout the entire episode, believes that Shocker is a spy, uh, Chakra swears she isn't. In the end, the truth is revealed, and uh, Raz and Chakra have to have sort of a moment of redemption where they get to start their friendship over, and Adora officially gets to welcome sort of the, the mother she knew for most of her life into the Rebels as their friend. And I really liked this episode, and I think it ties so nicely into Jeffrey's story because there's really something here about how do you deal with your parents, because... As you say, Adora keeps talking about Chakra as basically like her mother. I have to feel like there's like a Fox News kind of indoctrination here going on with Chakra, with the amulet, even not intentionally, but like she's still, you know, this hidden agent for the evil oppressor, even though she's trying really hard not to be. Well, this is another Hordak as Trump so strongly episode, because if we look back at a bunch of the people that Donald Trump has fired or encouraged to resign, even weeks before doing so, he's telling people, these are stars, they're my best people, totally loyal, A+. He just spits these uh, generic forms of flattery, and I don't know if he doesn't mean them or if he changes his mind that quickly, but Hordak clearly has an agenda when he says things like that. 
I think he's more Hordak in that he totally did not mean what he says. He just says it to advance his own agenda. And here's the question I'd like to pose that this episode brought up is how are we going to be this character that allows Chakra to have a second chance? How is Kellyanne Conway and Sarah Huckabee Sanders, how are these people that are, quote unquote, serving Hordak going to re-enter society? We are going to have to, you know, give them a second chance. It's kind of the whole moral to this particular episode, don't judge a person too quickly. And how are we going to let these other people, whether they were intentionally or just by being a toy on a shelf that was played with, how are we going to allow them back into society? That's a great question. For me personally, I think it comes down to kind of a case-by-case basis uh, in how did they contribute to any evil that was done in our nation? How complicit were they? And what did they do after? So somebody who uh, somewhat recently left the administration was the FBI director McCabe, who was fired, you know, a weekend before he was supposed to retire, just as sort of a gesture. And and in response, he went on basically a a quick media tour and wrote a manifesto and did interviews, basically cutting off, you know, any positive will he might have had toward Donald Trump, making it very clear he does not support the actions of this person and he thinks this is crap. And, you know, I'm as an observer, willing to forgive that person a lot more quickly uh, than I think I'm willing to forgive, you know, let's say a Steve Bannon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think there's definitely an aspect of intent and um, like what harm they've actually produced. Chakra is just a a nanny, I would guess. Um, She's not a a horde general who's out driving a tank with her hair, as we see later right. in this episode. But I and I think I think though Shira is kind of our aspirational selves in these episodes, right? Like she is in a perfect world who we would all be. We would all allow people a second chance. But as we've talked about, sometimes it's just not realistic. But I, I like that this show gives you both perspectives with um, her and then Madame Raz, kind of at both ends of the extreme. Yeah, she even says to her friends, don't call her a traitor. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Like, that, uh, to, to more attack that, uh, like, what are your personal limits? Or how do you even, or just to the broader question, how do you identify someone that's a member of the Horde? I, I think for me, like, you have to, I feel like it's that family guy joke of, like, everybody gets one, right? Like, I think if someone came to me, like, contrite, if someone seemed really honestly, like, oh, I really made a mistake. Like, I, I regret that I was on this side. Like, let me help you. I think they should be given one chance in a relatively low-pressure environment to correct their ways. I think that's probably what I would say. Yeah, I think in my personal life, I actually have the everybody gets one rule down on lock. There's this uh, movie that my husband and I really enjoy called The History of Future Folk. And in it... Uh, I'm not going to get into it too deeply, but the husband of the family is secretly an alien from outer space and the cops show up at his house and he just turns to his wife and he says, just lie for me. Just, just, you have to lie for me right now. There's an alien trapped in their garage and he makes his wife lie and said, and she's like, oh, it's his drunk friend. They just had a crazy night. Everything's okay. And in real life, my husband turns to me and he's like, 
if this were us and I was the cops showed up and you were I was like lie right now what would you do and I said the same thing I said I think everyone gets one I think you'd get one yeah yeah and that's also you know uh, a testament to the relationship that you have with people you know politically um, brothers sisters parents children they're being torn apart and so it's not as easy as Shira trusting or it is actually for Shira Shira's trusting her caregiver you know, this character in this movie is trusting his wife. These people are just relying on the relationships that they have already built yeah. to kind of help each other see the light or come to the other side. That's a really important point that I think I've made on this show before is that it's important to know you don't owe everybody anything. Like you don't owe strangers on the internet a pages-long debate. And so... You know, my own father is a Trump voter who moved to rural Tennessee, and I struggle with that sometimes. But I'm still going to visit him at Christmas. And if Paul Ryan at the end of his uh, stay or a Sean Spicer came up to me and asked to, like, have some positive discourse, I'd probably say, get out of my face. (laughs) I probably wouldn't give them a moment of my time. And I I mean, I think it's interesting. You know, this is a story where clearly the defector wants to defect and her heart's in it. And she's just been tricked into still helping the bad guys. I wonder what the version of this story would look like if she actually were still on Hordak's side. Yeah, there's a sense of naivety that Chakra has that has to be there in order for this whole thing to work. Right. And I don't know how many people in the Trump administration are naive and how many of them are corrupt and greedy and how many of them just are in it for themselves. Well, that's the thing. I don't think Shira is ever going to deliver this as a show. I think we would have watched this episode by now if it existed. But we keep seeing like a Shadow Weaver and a Katra sort of toy with overthrowing Hordak. It's clear that they're not happy with their lot in the Horde. And I want to see one of them leave permanently. Mm-hmm. Just like one third of the Trump administration. Yeah, right? <laughs> Come on, all of you. We're going to the Fright Zone. <gasps> You're taking that traitor with you? Don't call her a traitor. There is no real evidence against her, madam. Besides, she knows Hordak's lair. Well, so does Adora. She was raised there. Hordak has made a lot of changes since then. I'll trust you. Because I have to. And because I want to. Romeo and Glimmer, as I said, another attack on Bright Moon. This time courtesy of Entrapta, who I don't think we've met before. She's kind of a posh horde general with, like, Medusa-like hair. Kind of cool. So the rebels capture Horde Corporal Romeo, who is a dashingly handsome young man in a Wolverine costume. Um, (laughs) Fantastic. Right? And uh, Glimmer gives him some medical attention, which, right, we saw in in The Peril of Whispering Woods, and then kind of gets googly eyes for him, and vice versa. They have a really great conversation I want to circle back to where Glimmer tries to convince him that maybe the Horde are worth leaving. In fact, what Glimmer does to him is exactly what He-Man does to Adora in the pilot, which they lampshade later in this episode. Glimmer calls that out explicitly. Uh, For a while, it looks like maybe Corporal Romeo is on board, but then he thinks about it. He's like, no, I better still be with the Horde. He escapes, gives Hordak some sweet intel so they can mount a second attack on Bright Moon when it's weak. Uh, Glimmer goes after him, actually pulls a laser gun on him. (laughs) He's like, hey, you said you weren't going to run, but 
the Horde, uh, Horde troopers capture Glimmer, take her back to Hordak, and then in another very Trumpian fit, uh, Corporal Romeo dares to question why Glimmer should be thrown in the dungeon because she didn't really do anything wrong, and Hordak throws Romeo in the dungeon as well. So Shira breaks them both out. At the end, Romeo decides to stay with the rebels. I actually, this was my favorite episode. Whoa! I really liked the conversation that Glimmer and um, Romeo had with each other. Romeo is definitely in conflict, right? There's even this... Okay, so just a funny moment that I thought it was. uh, Glimmer is patching up Romeo, and Glimmer... Uh, says a little a, like he she puts some antiseptic on his arm and she he like winces and so she says a little antiseptic hurts what kind of soldier are you and his reply is a very good one <laughs> <laughs> like how dare you question that yeah his dialogue is so funny my favorite line maybe in this whole episode is uh, when they're debating the merits of the rebellion and the horde she goes you're trying to take over our land and he goes we were told it was not your land but let's talk about something else yeah, just, which is such an internet thing to do I'm uncomfortable right now <laughs> abort yeah another another internet thing to do which was very like I think I'm still on team Romeo he's fine but early in the episode he was striking me as a little like stereotypical nice guy milady hat tipper in the way he was like well, you're different than the other members of the rebellion. He doesn't see Glimmer as a reason to think the rest of the rebels might actually have a point or they might all be humans. He's like, oh, you're not like the rest of them in this oppressed population. You're my good one of those. But how many times has that happened politically where there's a fundamental misunderstanding, it comes to the surface, and then, well, let's talk about something else. Because that's the easier thing to do. So what I what I get what I captured from this is when he says, "Let's talk about something else, like how to be friends." Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That is what he says. Yeah. So so it's like okay, we're told that the rebels are bad, but then Glimmer seems nice. But I'm an officer and I have a sense of duty. But I'm going to misbehave and escape anyway with this sensitive information. Yeah. So he's going back and forth in his own mind. And, um, you know, th- this reassures Glimmer that you can never trust a hordesman, which is something, you know, Shira is always like, give people the benefit of the doubt. And what we were talking about earlier of giving someone a second chance and letting them reenter society. And then the thing that, that convinces Romeo that the horde is really bad is when he gets punished for nothing. Right. It's like yes. when Eric, when you said, you yes. know, that he gets thrown in the dungeon, he's like, but I didn't do anything. Right. It's not when Glimmer gets thrown in the dungeon for not doing anything. It's when he gets. Yes. Thrown. And how many times do we see people don't care about guns? They don't care about this or that or the other until it happens to their own family. That's right. This is a very realistic portrayal, honestly, because he's so well, first of all, you get the sense that he just doesn't know any better. Like he's raised to think rebels are bad full stop. And that's as far as he's ever investigated. And yeah, then when bad things start happening to him, he's like, wait a minute, maybe this isn't fair. It's like, yeah, dude, these people have been saying that the whole time. Yeah. He needs a lot of, of convincing though. I mean, it's a very realistic portrayal of, I'm not just going to say Trump voters. I'm going to say anyone who ever really backs any team or any individual super strongly. It's this idea that like, well, sure, ICE is going to come in and stop deporting people, start deporting people, but they're not going to deport my friends or my family or anyone I've ever heard of. So who cares? And like, no, Hordak's going to Hordak's going to do exactly Mm -hmm. 
what he said he was going to do. He's going to put innocent people in the dungeon. It's a critique of jingoism, you know, on, on any side. What's for that? Sure. Jingoism, just like the uh, kind of blindly following, uh, like, loyalty to a, a nation, typically. How funny. Yeah. That's exactly what the Horde represents. It's, uh, you know, obedience through control. Yeah. And isn't that what Trump is doing? He's he's dismissing anyone that gives him any kind of reluctance or, or resistance, and he's only surrounding himself with the fox and friends, like minds, the, the sheeple. It's so Trumpian. Hordak says literally the reason for putting Romeo in the dungeon is because it pleases him. Yeah. There's been a yeah. lot, a lot of radio, you know, I'm an NPR listener, um, a lot of NPR stories in the past couple of days about some of Trump's recent moves and how it's affecting his base. So the example that I heard literally today was uh, soybean farmers who voted for Trump and now China isn't going to buy their soybeans. They're going to put tariffs on American soy. And so all these farmers are like, why could our guy betray us? And similarly, I saw on Twitter last night someone having just a rant over the fact that they thought Hillary was this warmonger and Hillary was going to take us into war and now Trump is threatening Syria. And he's like, how could my guy do what I didn't think he was going to do? And that's just what this episode is about. The resolution to Romeo's plot, I wish, was realistic, where Glimmer says, it would be hard to leave your friends addressing, you know, if he does leave the Horde. And he says, yes, but if I've done wrong, I must make up for it. Man, I wish that was reality. Amen. Amen. I wish people just admitted they were wrong more often, Mm self-included, you know? I put myself in that category. And to be clear, Glimmer is on this rebellion, quote-unquote, light, good side, and she's recognizing that she has responsibility and things to correct in her own existence. Yeah, and I like that, too, because she starts the episode kind of just as narrow-minded as Romeo is, and then they both kind of learn to give a little bit. I think, in general, that's the theme of all these episodes, right, is, like, you do need to give the other people a little bit of space. I definitely want to see a version of this episode that is for an adult audience. Uh, And it's not going to happen. But in my like fan fiction world, that scene where Glimmer goes to retrieve Romeo and pulls the freeze ray on him, you know, I can look back at my just emotional teen girl self after a breakup and it's just visceral, man. Like, yeah. you know, I'm, I normally behave better than this. I normally have higher standards than this. But look what you've done. Now I don't care what the truth is. I'm going to get what I want. And I just felt for her so hard in that moment. I was like, man, if this were like a s- episode of CSI made for 40-somethings, I would watch the heck out of that, too. She's so good. Good. I'm almost there. Not quite. Princess Glimmer! You promised you wouldn't try to escape! I had no choice. I'm a Horde soldier. You know that. I only know that I told you about what the Horde does to innocent people, and I thought you listened. I did listen, but it's not true. It is true, but it doesn't matter whether you agree or not. I'm taking you back. Please don't force me to use a freeze ray. Come on, let's go. I don't think so. Glimmer, look out! Speaking about all three of these episodes in general, high-level terms, I feel like, you know, the whole thing is what side are you going to be on? Side A, side B. Are we going to be friends? How are we going to be friends if we're enemies? 
how can we unify the thing that these three episodes kind of resonating with me is that any journey to transferring or moving from one side to the other whether that's from Republican to Democrat or vice versa or straight to gay or religious to atheist or whatever, whatever the dualities are, it starts with introspection. And sometimes that helps best with family members that help see the light because it's affected in your own life. And the person that helped you see this has to be patient. It requires an incredible amount of forgiveness and this idea of turning the other cheek and allowing people to live in this space of this gray area. And that I'm conflicted because I have a sense of duty, because I am the officer in this army, and this is what I was raised with. And for my dad, this is the background that he has. Um, you know, it's the world, it's the wizard inside the tree. This is the space, the universe that I live in. And it's going to take me some time to let go of that. Even admitting that that might not be the correct world to be in is tough. And I think Shira's ability to give folks a space to live in that is unsure and transitioning is exactly what the country is going to have to do if it wants to heal from this divisive space that it's currently in. I love that because to me, one of the, I'm going to sound like an old person for a second. One of the biggest dangers of like kind of internet call out culture is that on both sides, it assumes like automatic knowledge, like this snap judgment of like, I see this and this is bad. I hate it. Or this is good. I love it. But no one wants to admit that maybe they don't have all the information that maybe it's okay not to know. Like things would be so much better if people would just understand that there is so much they don't know you know romeo didn't know an actual rebel and i bet a lot of trump voters don't know many people of color or lgbt people or things like that and maybe yeah just like know what you don't know yeah and for glimmer to also recognize that she has her own sense of you know i need i had i need to take responsibility for this guy getting away even though he was under my watch Absolutely. Yeah, I I do want to add something to that that maybe is a little more pessimistic of me because I, I agree with the premise you're saying, like everyone should leave room for what they don't know and humanize each other. But I also feel like it takes a lot of bad behavior to get to a point where, <laughs> what am I trying to say? Maybe you've never met a homosexual person. Maybe you don't meet a lot of people of color in your daily life, but you have to do a heck of a lot of othering and a heck of a lot of like fantastical imagining of some really dark stuff to not be able to do just the basic like, well, they're all human beings though, so I'm sure they're pretty good. Like I feel like I, uh, I try my hardest to operate on my everyday life just sort of giving people the benefit of the doubt, even if there's something, I don't know a lot about every religion that's out there. I don't know a lot about every culture that's out there, but I also don't immediately assume that it's dangerous or assume the worst of them. And so I do think it's important to focus on um, how to heal the nation and how to heal each other. But it's also important to remember like, it's not that great that we got here in the first place, and the tendencies that brought us to this place might not go away even after we start talking. Um, and that's kind of why I asked about the rebellion's long-term plan, because, uh, you know, not to make not to widen the lens too much, but 
after World War II, there were still Nazis in Germany. And after the Civil War, we all had the Confederacy like living right next to us. And healing takes a much longer time than, you know, when someone signs a treaty or just says, I'm sorry. Absolutely. You're, and especially speaking from the South, there's still a very visceral, pal- palpable sense of racism and segregation and better than, less than. One of my favorite quotes is basically something along the lines of, wouldn't it be so great if we could just point to a group of people and say, those are the evil ones. Let's excommunicate them and get rid of them. But the fact of the matter is the line between good and evil runs down the middle of every human heart. And I take that to mean that we all have it within us to be good and bad. And every moment is a moment to choose which side we want to use our powers for. And we don't need a magic sword to do this, but we do need the Shira attitude of even if we can't save them, what we can do is be the example. And that's what we saw in The Reluctant Wizard. It's what we saw when she's defending her caregiver. It's what we saw with Glimmer when she's dealing with Romeo and kind of, or that's what we see with Romeo kind of seeing Glimmer as this, oh, not everyone in the rebellion is bad, or this lie that I've been fed could actually be a lie. I agree. And maybe it is naive, but I think, you know, short-term plan is defeat the occupying army the illegitimate, well, Trump's not illegitimate, but the fascist government, get get that legislation gone. Long-term plan, I think healing really only happens when hearts and minds are changed. And I think really the best way to make sure that happens, and it's something that... Aaron, Aaron Hosek. Aaron, yeah, okay, it's, it's like Aaron said, you know, with kids, the only real way to get them to stop bullying is to make them empathetic. I've got to think that's true of adults, too. But I think also a big part of the long-term plans is like putting legislation in place that makes sure that we can't lapse into these things again. And maybe, you know, human history is just a slow progression of that moving forward and then backsliding a little and then hopefully moving forward again. But I think ultimately it is hearts and minds that, that change. It is. And I don't know that there ever will be like this perfect utopian resolution you know maybe maybe it's just finding this nice sweet spot of a balance as another coworker of mine always likes to say is what if the alternative isn't there's a definitive answer but life is just movement and it's just constant changing and balancing and seesawing and it's our duty to just continue to live our truth and try to be the example of what we want to see changed and hope that that resonates somehow. So even the people that are undecided, they'll know what people like Trump or the haters or the people that shun them treat them, and we'll, they'll know how the other side treats them with patience and forgiveness and the benefit of the doubt and opportunities for second chances. And I guess we should end by saying that after the kind of disappointments of a bunch of beautiful waspy 20-somethings teaching us about inner beauty <laughs> and body image. Uh, this seems like a topic that Shira is really well equipped to address in like three episodes that I think were pretty nuanced for like 80s kids TV. And even now, like these are pretty good presentations. And I'm hopeful for what the new series will do. I promise, like, this has to be a theme in the new show, right? Like, there's no way we can get around this. That's exactly what I was going to say. In a world where, exactly as Jeffrey kind of questioned, we're 
gonna have a society forever now that has not only a Priebus and a Flynn and a McMaster in it, but every person who voted for, frankly, who I believe is a fascist. You know, society has to move forward after that. And a show that really teaches the youngest people of America to give each other respect and give each other space and give each other time is going to make sure that we're still going to stick around for at least a few more generations. We've talked about this before. It's important to have consequences for actions, right? And there are going to hopefully be consequences for Donald Trump's actions. Hopefully he won't be able to rejoin polite society. But some people we're going to have to let back in if we want to rebuild. And to your earlier point, Lauren, I think there's also a truth that some people are quote-unquote unsavable, and it's sometimes the healthier thing to just let those people go. Yeah. If it's difficult for me to go home at Christmas time because I'm not accepted under my parents' roof, then I won't go home for Christmas. Thankfully, that's not my situation, but I do have plenty of friends that when they come out of the closet, they're kicked to the curb. And I would advise them to stay away instead of trying to give their family a second chance or whatever. And I say this with a grain of salt simply because whomever is listening, I'm not giving you that advice. What I'm trying to say is there are situations where some people are so far gone that it's more, the healthier, the more respectful, the more graceful thing to do is just let them be. Yeah. Interestingly, I'm not sure, including Hordak and including Skeletor, anyone on this show is irredeemable. They allow these characters to have moments where they're redeemable, and I think that's a bright spot of the She-Ra universe, is that through She-Ra's powers, Literally anyone can potentially come back. By the power of Grayskull. <laughs> Thanks for listening to She-Ra, Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com or to our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash progressive of power. If you or your loved ones identify as LGBTQ and need a helpful, safe place to go in Chicago, I can't say enough good things about the Center on Halstead, a community center focused on providing support to marginalized communities in the city. If you want to be an ally, you can help the center by supporting their programs, volunteering, donating, or even renting their spaces for an event of your own. Get more info at centeronhalstead.org or drop by at 3656 North Halstead today.